Welcome, fellow plebs. My name is Sean, and this is Tribunus Plebis. And welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Thank you for lending me your ear today. Okay, so it's been a while for a current events episode, so let's do a couple of items here. And I guess the most obvious thing in the world to talk about right now is the leaked draft decision which prefaces the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. Basically, an early draft of the court's opinion, its ruling, was leaked by somebody, and it's a pretty harsh condemnation of Roe It's a complete reversal, in fact. Now, some people are focusing on the actual leak, mostly to just draw attention away from the subject of the leak itself. Think about persecuting Julian Assange or Edward Snowden for leaking documents rather than dealing with the fact that they leaked proof of horrific governmental and military abuses from spying to murder. This is a common pattern with governmental ghouls. Some brave soul risks their freedom and even their lives to expose the evil that my government does to its own citizens and foreigners across the globe, and the news talks about how bad it is to blow a whistle and expose these things instead of talking about the actual evils being done to us and others. And we largely believe it because we are big old dummies. And right now, half the media is arguing about whether it's good to leak Supreme Court drafts, and the other half is trying to suss out whether, you know, it was a liberal clerk or a conservative one. And truthfully, there are good arguments for either. But I am leaning towards a conservative clerk for whatever that's worth. But what I really want to say on this specific point is something that I think is pretty important. And that is that I don't really care who did it or why. Was it a conservative just being so happy that Roe is being overturned? Or maybe they were worried that, you know, some other conservative justice wouldn't hold the line and that they felt that they had to leak it. Was it a super liberal law clerk who leaked it? You know, maybe to show how bad the resulting decision would be. I don't know. What I do know is that I'm glad somebody leaked it. I have zero respect for the people who decide our lives like this, hiding in their little courtrooms, serving for life, serving for life as political beings with immense power. I just don't care about it. In fact, more documents should be leaked. It's not like this is a national security thing. Screw them. Let us see how this most disgusting sausage is actually made. Don't let them hide behind carefully crafted, deceitfully written decisions. They don't deserve our fealty. As for overturning Roe itself, that is just plain awful. If you can't tell by now, I'm pro-choice. When does life begin? I don't know, and I'm not too concerned with such questions. What could I possibly say to someone who views life as starting the moment sperm meets egg, and that this fact makes abortion inconceivably abhorrent? Should I tell them that they're wrong? Would they accept that? Would it matter? How exactly do I convince a religious person that the soul enters the body at, you know, some other point? I can't. And also, why would I bother? And frankly, I don't really think it matters. At the end of the day, 
a woman should have autonomy over her own body. And that's, that's pretty much it. I'm not overly interested in the moral, metaphysical nonsense that this discussion usually devolves into. Again, I don't care when the soul arrives or some made-up arbitrary time period. Women should have access to abortions if they need them. Or want them. Want is probably a better term here. What I do think about sometimes is how politically unimportant abortion was before the late 70s and the early 80s when the Republican Party made a hard move to lure in the ultra-religious evangelical types during the run-up to and the victory of the Reagan administration. And I like to think about how they used it to divide a country. Sure, it was an issue to some degree before 1980, but it didn't drive votes anything like it does now, or even really serve as a marker of which party you voted for. Before this time, even the evangelical Christians didn't much care. They usually just sloughed it off as, you know, a problem for those weird Catholics over there to figure out. Politicians didn't run on it. It wasn't a campaign issue. Even the religious groups rarely ever brought it up. It just wasn't a big agenda item. Then the Republicans saw the religious population. They saw them voting for both parties, and they saw an opportunity and ran with it, and they politicized control of women's bodies. And once they took that ball and ran... We allowed ourselves to be mesmerized by this issue, and along the way, we allowed ourselves to be ruled over by truly despicable beings who slowly and methodically created a playing field where they were guaranteed a win. A playing field where they began to codify that women could not maintain autonomy of their own bodies. Hey everybody, I just want to take a second here to thank Senny for being a day one subscriber to the podcast on our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thank you, Senny. Thank you for the generosity and support. It means a lot to me. These episodes do take a lot of time and effort, and it really is nice to earn a little compensation for that time and effort, you know, for our labor here. If anyone else is finding value in what we do here at Tribunus Plebis, please consider subscribing or making a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash tribunusplebis. There will be a link in the description as well. Now, back to the episode. I do want to be clear about something for everybody who's listening, and this is something I've you know kind of harped on a lot over the years, and that is that while I did just mention the term wedge issue, or I don't even know if I said wedge issue, but I kind of implied it, um, these aren't wedge issues like the media and pundits like to talk about. The political talking heads, they always say that the country's so divided, and the galaxy brains say both parties want to keep this issue alive because they can both leverage it. Basically, the Republicans say that they'll repeal Roe, but never do, and that the Democrats say they'll protect Roe, and they never do. And they both use those statements to get votes, right? Like a Democrat says, vote for me, I'll protect Roe. A Republican says, vote for me, I'll end Roe. And the galaxy brains say, boy, we are a nation divided by this wedge issue, which neither will ever follow through on, because the fear of these two movements keeps voters voting, not the parties themselves taking real actions on their promises. Personally, I haven't generally believed this. I've always felt like the Republicans desperately really actually did want to end Roe. And, well, you know what? I'll actually go a little broader and deeper than that. The Republicans wanted the Supreme Court. 
they wanted it very badly. And this was the issue to leverage to get that control. And by the way, when I say Republicans here, I generally mean like the Mitch McConnell types, the Lindsey Grahams, Ted Cruz's, all those scumbags in the actual Republican Party leadership, not some, you know, weird goobers with a Trump 24 flag on their house. I'm pretty sure that those people, the Republican Party stormtroopers, they'd sacrifice the House, the Senate and the presidency for a decade to get 40 years of Supreme Court control. Because they actually understand where power lies and how to use it. And they're willing to work for it. The conservatives in this country spent 80 years building neoliberal sentiment in colleges, government, and public policy spaces. They've spent the past 60 years building conservative law education, policy think tanks, and a literal Judge feeder system, it's called the Federalist Society, which just might be a topic here at some point, and they use all of these things to stock state and federal courts. The neoliberal move paid off in the 80s, and the judge feeder system is paying off now. And, sorry, I kind of went off, you know, track there a little bit, and slid into a different episode, but back to Roe. Uh, you know, it's just kind of really a gut punch, especially for women out there. And by the way, as most of you probably know or might have sussed out in this episode, I'm a guy. So, I don't know. Go listen to some women and anyone else affected by this judgment and give them a little more credit than me. But I'm still going to say some stuff, you know, some stuff about yet another subject I didn't think I'd ever really talk about. But I guess this is what I'm doing now with my spare time. So let's start with the fact that there's a ton of history here. I'm not going to go through it all. You know, maybe later this year I'll try, but I'll hit a couple high points. The history runs from old folk medicines to eugenics, from the pilgrims to the American Revolution to the Civil War era to Roe itself. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt wrote a letter condemning abortion, which is essentially a peon to eugenics. And he wasn't alone at the time. He basically argued that native white stock which were having smaller families at the time, would be outbred by immigrants and blacks, and Western civilization would be destroyed because of it. Hey, those are Teddy's words, not mine. He said it loudly and proudly. Yes, the racist, great-replacement, white-supremacist idea existed as early as 1906 in America, so there's that as well. The idea that women were property and were to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and do nothing but make babies, damn their own wishes, prevailed. And this history runs, of course, right up to Roe versus Wade. And all of it matters. All of the steps forward and all of the steps back. The passing of Roe itself was, of course, one of the great milestones. And now it's dead. Or dying. I guess it won't you know, be official until June. Now we are back to controlling women, forcing them to bear and birth unwanted babies, babies which they are perhaps unfit to care for, babies which they just don't want, babies which the same conservatives who are cheering this decision will refuse to help when they are hungry or homeless, 
not even providing little infant bootstraps to pull themselves up with when they can't even hold up their own heads, let alone provide help to the mothers forced to give birth to them. Would a teen girl be allowed to adopt a child? Would a 13-year-old girl be allowed to be a surrogate? Of course not, because they don't have the emotional maturity, the physical development, or the financial resources, amongst other things, to be a parent. They wouldn't be capable in any way of raising a child. Set aside the financial aspect even, nobody would want these things to happen to these young ladies. Shit, man, the state takes babies from poor mothers right now, just because they're poor. But they'll force that mother to birth another child if she becomes pregnant, right after they just judged her unfit to parent? It's madness. We are back to forcing these women into unsafe abortions, procedures which can lead to illness, infection, and death, not to mention emotional distress or lead to an inability to have children later on when they have chosen to. Abortion access shouldn't have carve-outs for rape and incest or carve-outs to save the mother's life. Abortion access should just exist. That's it. It should just be available everywhere without external extraneous shame, grief, and accusatory attacks, let alone murder charges. And going even beyond that with this leaked judgment, the way it's written opens a lot of doors we really don't want to leave open. The way it chews apart the way that Roe was settled in 1973 leaves a very real path of attack for everything from same-sex intercourse to marriage rights to contraception itself. Yeah, bans of even birth control pills and spermicides and possibly even condoms. Seriously. Hell, it could even theoretically allow bans on interracial marriage to come back. Now, is that likely? Probably not but the door is cracked regardless. There have already been movements to consider birth control pills and IUDs as abortive instruments. They want IUDs to be considered abortions if a woman has unprotected sex while using one. That, my friends, is kind of fucked up. Protections for all of these things are based on a very similar undue process and right to privacy argument that the Roe case used. It's literally an attack on personal freedoms. And this ruling will undoubtedly affect the poor and marginalized people in this country the most. No wealthy woman will ever be affected by this. No senator's mistress will ever lack an abortion when he knocks her up behind his wife's back. No senator's daughter will ever not get an abortion paid for by the pro-life senator, of course, because he doesn't want his daughter's life ruined. Even if abortion was federally illegal, it wouldn't affect any of these folks. They would just take a flight somewhere, take a week off from work or a month, and get the abortion and grieve and fly back. But that poor immigrant woman with little money, no car, an abusive boyfriend, no support, a terrible 12-hour-a-day job, health issues... And she lives 14 hours from the closest clinic? Yeah, that woman is screwed, and so is the kid, to be frank with everybody. And what about things like ectopic pregnancies? What about the woman who was denied the ability to abort a dead fetus and had to leave the state because she was risking becoming septic with a corpse inside of her? Or the 11-year-old girl in Ohio who was repeatedly raped by a 26-year-old 
that would be forced to carry the baby to term under the sort of law that was decided here. A child, an 11-year-old rape victim, would be forced to become a mother. What sort of sick society is this? And yes, these last few examples are extreme. They are outliers, but they are actual people as well. And yes, there are a lot of lawmakers out there right now who want to make abortion illegal even in these most extreme examples. The 11-year-old rape victim, the mother going septic with a dead baby inside of her. As it currently sits, at least 11 states have passed legislation that bans abortion without rape or incest exemptions. A total ban, in other words. Mitch McConnell, evil incarnate and general scumbag, even went on the record and said that if the wording of this judgment holds, then the Republican Party would begin a move to ban abortion at the federal level. Again, Republicans and conservatives actually understanding where power lies and how to wield it, unlike the flaccid, spineless Democrats. In a particularly dystopian reason for overturning Roe, the United States Supreme Court also argues that there are not enough babies being put up for adoption to satisfy the market for babies to be adopted. Yep, seriously, they actually say that. They say that the, quote, domestic supply, end quote, of babies will increase. And I just want to point out that, I mean, first off, that's just fucking gross and essentially inhuman. What sort of sick bastard would actually say or even think that, let alone put that in a court ruling? And second, there are over 400,000 children in foster homes right now, and about 120,000 are waiting for adoption. The difference in that number is that about half of these kids will be reunited with their birth parents, and the rest will be adopted by foster parents. 120,000 children waiting for adoption. Yet the Supreme Court has decided that unwanted pregnancies are now commodities to be entered into a market balance sheet. Capitalism really will commodify everything and turn the world into markets, won't it? ebay.com slash babies coming soon to the web. Amazon adoptions, maybe. What a world. So I don't believe that this is about morality or religion. I believe it's about control of women's bodies by fundamentally disturbed people who see the days of marital rape being impossible as the good old days, and they just use a bastardized moral argument to bend a vocal minority to its will. And it is a minority. Something like 65% of Americans are in favor of legalized abortion. And okay, so I guess that's it. Um, I didn't want to do a whole episode on abortion. I never wanted to do an episode on abortion at all, to be honest. It feels weird as a guy doing it. But like race and a few other issues that I wanted to avoid, I guess I had to since this is what I've chosen to do. Uh, just legalize it. And by the way, the Democrats have had several chances to codify abortion protections, but they chose not to every single time. When the Republicans finally had their chance, they took it. It's not a lesson that Nancy Pelosi will ever learn, but we should learn it. Okay, let's slide from that into another horrible area, Florida. And it's not only Florida, but Florida is the epicenter here. 
Yep, we're talking about the don't say gay law. And yeah, I know that this is relatively old news and that the bill has already passed, but I want to talk about it anyway because I think it's important. And hey, maybe the legal challenges will pay off and get it overturned. But I just want people who weren't paying attention to get a chance to hear about this because of how quickly the news cycle dumps important topics and never revisits them. Basically, this law prevents teachers and anyone else in school from talking about LGBTQ issues, even to the point of it being possibly illegal for a teacher to even acknowledge that they are gay or have a same-sex partner. The law is very vague and very dangerous because of this vagueness. What you will hear just terrible, awful human beings say in support of this law is that it is anti-grooming. Grooming meaning that the law is meant to protect children from people trying to seduce and molest and rape them. Now, I just want to go back in time a little bit into the 80s. Yes, I'm old enough to remember the 80s and, you know, right on into the early 90s. So when I was a kid, there was the same talk about grooming. Gay character in a sitcom? Grooming. Two guys seeming a little bit too chummy in a TV commercial? Grooming. Two women kissing in a movie? Hot. That's not me. I didn't say that. That's people in the 80s. The hate was, indeed, mostly directed towards gay men. Basic sex ed? Grooming. People simply being aware that gay people exist? Yep, grooming. I I think you get it. These arguments lead to the idea that gay people especially gay men who bore the brunt of this slander, were or are trying to turn your kids gay. It was insinuating that all gay men are sexual predators trying to molest your children. They aren't, of course. They aren't grooming your kids either. No amount of awareness of gay people or depictions of gay people or even seeing gay people actually have sex is going to turn straight people gay. Sorry. Every gay person on the planet is proof of this since they were bombarded with depictions of straight relationships and straight people affection and straight people sex for their entire lives, yet they still remained gay. That's just not how it works. Hell, there are even claims about grooming when preteens are getting shots to protect themselves from cancer. Because dumb people thought that it would turn their daughters into sex maniacs or something, which is silly. The awesomeness of sex is what turns people into sex maniacs. So this supposed anti-grooming law just continues the same hyper-homophobic slander, that anyone who's gay is a pedophile and looking to rape your kid. It's an old, hateful trope. They used to actually show safety films in schools about Bill the Homosexual and how kids should be careful because Bill is sick and wants to rape them. Seriously, they showed this to children. Here's a clip. Then during lunch, Ralph showed him some pornographic pictures. Jimmy knew he shouldn't be interested, but, well, he was curious. What Jimmy didn't know was that Ralph was sick, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual, a person who demands an intimate relationship with members of their own sex. When they finished, the stranger told him he'd make a fine player someday if he got lots of practice. 
The companionship, the praise, the friendly attitude dispelled any misgivings Mike might have had about going with a stranger. He probably never realized until too late that he was riding in the shadow of death. But sometime that evening, Mike Merrick traded his life for a newspaper headline. Just that language, sickness, you know, sickness of the mind, diseased. The video has multiple scenarios, all ending in rape or death or both for the kids. That's the sort of garbage that this Florida law is recreating right now. That's how sick and demented that this law is. In fact, it likely prevents any form of sex education at a time when children are actually most vulnerable to being harmed in this way. And by doing so, it removes the ability to teach children about this stuff. Not really about sex, per se, but about what is acceptable and what is not, in clear language. Children having a basic understanding of age-appropriate ideas of sex actually arms them and allows them to recognize when something bad has happened, or, obviously even better, to recognize what is about to happen, and to hopefully help themselves. Which, by the way, leads to another point. This bill addresses nothing real. Nobody can point to a classroom where teachers are teaching five-year-olds about sexual intercourse, let alone same-sex intercourse. Now, supporters would say that children should be taught this stuff by their parents. And I guess that's true. But not all parents will teach it. They'll pretend that sex isn't real, that abstinence works, and that saying the word penis is a sin. And that's a damn shame. And it leaves children vulnerable. Children should get age-appropriate education. Again, this doesn't mean teaching four-year-olds about fetish stuff. It means teaching children in an age-appropriate way what shouldn't happen to them and how to recognize it. And if we can't be sure that parents are actually doing this, then, yeah, I don't care if teachers do it instead. I don't. And, you know, I don't know the best words here to describe what I'm saying. I'm not a teacher. But I think that you guys get my overall point. And the passing of this law is partially showboating by a Republican Party gone mad trying to get votes by being as extraordinarily cruel and reactionary as possible. But it's also just raw hatred, bigotry, fear-mongering, terrorizing, and othering. It's a cruel act meant to directly harm some of the most vulnerable people on the planet, the LGBTQ youth. And it's not just hardcore Republicans either. Former presidential candidate and world-renowned right-wing ghoul Tulsi Gabbard said that the Florida bill does not go far enough and should extend the ban on these topics until 12th grade, continuing her weird and troublesome circle back to the homophobe she was in Hawaii when she opposed gay marriage and called supporters of same-sex marriage, quote-unquote, homosexual extremists. Once a hateful bigot, always a hateful bigot, I guess. This bill also forces teachers to notify parents if they suspect or are told that a child is gay, trans, or anything else on the LGBTQ spectrum. Frankly, this is just cruel. It's basically forcibly outing somebody if they, you know, try to talk about it with a teacher or someone they trust, or it forces them to internalize and hide who they are. Imagine, for instance, if a kid talks to a teacher and says, I'm gay, 
and I can't talk to my parents because my father would beat the shit out of me. And listen, I don't know how many kids realize they are gay or trans or anything at the age of 9 or 10 or whatever, but I know that people in my family did. This law forces that teacher to talk to the parents, or at least to tell child services, who would then talk to the parents, who would then beat the kid. And if the kid just buries it and hides it, the child might self-harm. This is no sane way to survive on this planet. And as a little bit of a personal anecdote, I have several gay family members. Thankfully, all of their parents said some version of, we've known for years, when the kids came out and gave them hugs in support. All of my gay family members, as far as I know, are very lucky in this sense. But not all LGBTQ children are this lucky. I've heard some of the most heartbreaking stories from some LGBTQ comrades over the past two or three years. Some of them would have literally been beaten if a teacher had ever told their parents that they were gay or trans or bi or something. Some were just beaten because they were too femme or too butch or wore the wrong clothes. Some get attacked now because these Nazi fucking lawmakers are creating a fake story about grooming and putting them in danger with their rhetoric. It's just a deeply sick, unjust, terroristic law that should never have been passed. Supporters argue that the bill prohibits only talking about sexual orientation and gender identity. And frankly, that sort of ban is scary enough in and of itself. But the bill itself is so vague and so open to interpretation and lacks any sort of limiting principle in its language that it can conceivably prevent just about anything even remotely connected to those issues. A gay teacher might be legally on the hook for mentioning that they are married to another man, for instance. It might prevent books with same-sex parents in them from being in the school, or prevent a student from writing about their experience as a lesbian in a paper. Who knows, right? And then you have people like Representative Lauren Boebert saying that coming out before the age of 21 should be illegal. Yeah, she literally said that. These are the dangers of bills like this in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. They open the door for these bigoted shitbags to actually execute and codify the hatred that they hold in their hearts for the gay men in my family, the gay, lesbian, and trans people I have come to call my friends. And they will. This isn't some confluence of unrelated events. This has been building, purposefully building, since at least the 80s. This is their goal. They're almost there. This is the end game. And by the way, if you're a teacher or anyone at all, really, and a kid comes to you and they trust you enough to tell you that they are gay or might be gay or might be trans, be a good person and give that kid an ear in all of the love and understanding that you can and listen and talk and let them get it all out and be supportive. And if anyone ever asks you if that kid told you anything at all about their sexual orientation or gender, no the fuck they did not. And thank you guys. That's the end of the episode. I hope you liked it. I know that there were some heavy topics there. But hey, this, I guess this is what we're doing. So, you know, like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's Tribunus Plebis Media on YouTube. BuyMeCoffee.com, one-time donation or subscribe. 
Uh, you know, as always, if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that's awesome. Rate and review. It's like probably the single best way to help get this podcast out there and more popular. I guess that's it. Uh, God, this one took a lot out of me. I'll, uh, as always, thank you guys. I love you all. 